If you have your Bibles with you, if you'll turn with me, if you will, to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, Psalm number 139. One of my, one of my favorite Psalms. If you'd look with me, if you will, to the last two verses. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. A Psalm of David, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. David simply said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to do exactly. Make this our prayer this morning. Search us. Father, thank you for the way you've moved among us. Thank you for what you've already done in this service. But Lord, I don't think you're finished yet. And I think there's more that you want to do among us. And so I pray that even as David prayed, just turn the floodlight of heaven on our soul and let us see ourselves as you see us. And Lord, if there is anything revealed there that is not pleasing to you, may we humbly submit ourselves before you at a place of prayer. May you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. I'm afraid that one big problem that many church attenders have is that we get too complacent with our experience with God. We're just too content with knowing and going back to the day that we know that the Lord saved us and our sins were forgiven and we know that we're ready to make it to heaven. That's good. But let me ask you this question. How much examination and reflection have you done since then? And how much spiritual growth has there been from that entry point? And here we have a wonderful example of a prayer that David is praying when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. So when I read that and I get to that point of prayer, I have to go back and ask myself, what was going on in this psalm that brought him to this point of reflection and prayer? Because if I feel that I need to ask God to search my heart and try me and know my thoughts, then let me go back and revisit this and see this journey that brought David to this point. And when I do... It becomes very revealing to this psalm because when I go back and reread this psalm with that that in mind, it becomes obvious to me that apparently David has been reflecting on the various attributes of God. Have you ever taken time to reflect on those attributes of God? You say, Brother George, I might if I knew what they were. Well, there's a, there's a lot of them. And if I were to ask you to list some of your favorite attributes, we'd come up with a long list. But God is holy. God is love. And let me insert this. 
His holiness does not operate apart from his love, thank God. But listen to this also, his love does not operate contrary to his holiness. There's a lot of people that somehow think that simply because God is love, he overlooks the ungodliness and stuff in people's lives. No, his love does not operate contrary to his holiness. He's righteous, he's just, he's merciful. One attribute I love about God is his immutability. You say his what? Immutable what? His immutability. That means he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Another thing I love about an attribute of God is its eternality. There has never been a time that he hasn't been. He has always been. Now, there will never be a time when you will not be, but there was a time when you weren't. Amen. But there's never been a time when God hasn't been. And that list could go on and on. I understand that. But if I would, but if I would have asked you to compile a list, I am pretty sure that a lot of us would have had some of the same attributes of God. And what I mean by that is those, there are those words or phrases that describe the very nature and character of who God is. And they're attributed to him and him alone. That's why they're his attributes. But there are three attributes that may have made all of our lists because they all start with the same prefix. The omniscience of God, that means he knows everything. I've met a few people that thought they did, but come to find out they didn't. But anyway, God is omniscient. We also know that God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere at all times. And while I'm on that subject, let me insert this. You have a wonderful pastoral staff. But only God is omnipresent. Your pastoral staff is not omnipresent. As much as they would like to be everywhere at all times, they cannot be. And there's going to be times when you call upon them when they simply, it is not humanly possible for them to be available. But God is. And so God is omniscient and he's omnipresent. And then of course we know he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. And the amazing part about that is, I believe that that is exactly how this psalm is divided. I believe those are the attributes that David is reflecting on. In verses one through six, it becomes obvious he's reflecting on the omniscience of God. What does God know? And specifically, what does he know about me? Then verses seven through 13, he's reflecting on the omniscience presence of God, or in other words, where is God? Then beginning at verse 14 and going to verse eight, verse 13 and going to verse 18, he's reflecting on the omnipotence of God. And some of you are looking there and you're trying to figure out where I'm getting that at. So let's go back and let's look at it just a little bit closer. Okay. Go with me to verses one through six. In verses one through six, notice what David said. And what, before I go any farther, let me say this. I'm afraid that sometimes I appreciate the Psalms and we have them neatly packaged in numerical order from one through 150. 
But you'd be surprised how many church folks think that's the order in which they were written. I'm assuming you know that they were not written in that order. And we have them neatly packaged in that order. And although over half of them are attributed to being written by King David, the rest of them were written by several other writers. David's son Solomon wrote some of them. Some of them were written by the sons of Korah and the sons of Asaph who were musicians in the temple. Some theologians believe that Moses may have written Psalm number 90. If that is the case, would you agree with me that Moses, well, the one he wrote, was long, written long before David wrote any? Watch my head, this is the right answer. Amen, Brother George. And so they may be in numerical order, but they're not in chronological order. And so it may be that a much later psalm may have been written much earlier than an earlier psalm. And Psalm 139 is one of those. It's believed that Psalm 139 was written about 1048 B.C., as opposed to Psalm 51, which was written about 1034 BC. So about 14 years difference between those two. And the reason I use Psalm 51 is because Psalm 51 is that repentant Psalm of David where he's repenting of adultery and murder and asking for God's forgiveness. And yet Psalm 139 is a Psalm he's asking, search me, O God, and know my heart. And so 14 years earlier, he's saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. But in Psalm 51, he's saying, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So it becomes obvious to me, he should have kept praying Psalm 139 because he perhaps would not have needed to pray Psalm 51. And it might be this morning that there are some that have needed to pray your Psalm 51 because you were not faithful to continue praying Psalm 139. Don't get quiet on me now, I'll think you're guilty. So let's go back to this Psalm again and see what brought David to this point of reflection and prayer. Look with me at verse, the first six verses. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Now get this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Verse six tells us very plainly that David has been reflecting on what God knows, his omniscience. Let's go back to verse one. Thou hast searched me and known me. 
The word search has a double meaning. In one context, search means to search like somebody who's a spy. Like you would go behind the enemy lines and gather intel about them that they don't know you know. And so David is acknowledging it's as though God is in the behind the lines of my life and he's gathered all the intel about me and he has info on me that I don't know he has. But then the word search also has another meaning. Not only does it mean to like to spy out and gather intel, but it also means like a someone who digs in the heart of the earth as a miner. Like you, you dig down there, whether it is coal or whether it's gold or whether it's diamonds or whether it's some other precious jewel or some other ore that has value to it. And David realized, Lord, you've dug into the heart of my soul. I want you to dig down there and I want you to bring to surface anything that I don't realize is there. In fact, it may that he, you discover that he's dug into a sanitary landfill and it's nothing but a dump. Smile, it'll be over in a little bit. You've searched me. But then he also said, you know me. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that the word know or the expression to know gets abused in the English language. I've been around some folks, not the ones you know, but others, who in a conversation, Brother Brian, they say, well, you know, and they'll say a few more words, you know, and say a few more words, you know, and I want to say, I would know more if you didn't assume I knew, you know. (laughs) But in the word of God, especially in the Old Testament, the word know or expression to know has a much deeper meaning. Let me give an example. In Genesis chapter four, verse one said, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Did you catch that? And Adam knew Eve. It didn't mean they shook hands. It didn't mean he sent her a love letter. It didn't mean they greeted one another on the street. Many times in the Old Testament, when you read so-and-so, knew so-and-so, the next line usually reads that they had a baby. You know? If you need further interpretation, see me after service. But what that means is that you know somebody more intimately than you can know that anybody else. In other words, that David realizes, Lord, you know me more intimately than my spouse knows me. You know me more intimately than my parents know me. You know me more intimately than my children know me. You know me more intimately than anybody could know me. I mean, in my 20 years of being on the road full time now, I run across people that, that I, we have a connection. I, we know some of the same people they know, or maybe they know me from someplace else. I've even run across some people, and I'm sure you have as well, that they, they've known me my entire life, even when I was a baby. And maybe some of them could say, I remember changing your diaper, and I thought, you know me better than I want you to know me. You know, and so David says, oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. So he knows who I am. Then he said, you know, my down sitting 
and my uprising. He knows whether I'm seated, whether I've gotten up. He knows here at 9.30 on Sunday morning, whether I'm on the couch or whether I'm in a church pew. At 7.30 tonight, he'll know whether I'm in a church pew or sitting there watching NFL and whether the team may win or lose or not anyway. But anyway, I didn't say any of those things were wrong. I'm just saying he knows. And on, on, on weeknights, he knows if there's a revival going on, he knows whether I'm seated in a recliner at home watching Will of Fortune and Jeopardy or whether I'm in church service. Amen, Brother George. So he knows my downsitting and my uprising. Then for some of us, get this one. He understandeth my thought a way off. I was, I was speaking with some folks and, and I was speaking to someone not too long ago and they said, Brother George, it seems like all I think about anymore is the hereafter. I thought, well, heaven's a wonderful thing to think about. Eternity's a wonderful thing to think about if, you, if you're right, if you know where you're headed. Amen. Oh, they said, no, it's not that. It's not about eternity. It's not about a heaven. He said, I go in the next room and I ask myself, what am I here after? <laughs> That's the hereafter. And some of you, I mean, when you think that your thoughts are, he understands my thoughts are far off. I, some of you, in just a little bit, your thoughts are going to be more about uh, the restaurant than you may be with my message. Don't fade on me now. Stick with me, all right? So he knows who I am. He knows what I'm doing. He knows what I'm thinking. Thou compassest my path and, and, and you understand all my ways. He even knows where I'm going. Thou compassest my path and my lying down. You understand all my ways. Now, it gets even more intimidating because he said, for there is not a word in my tongue but lo, O oh Lord, thou knowest it altogether. That'll make you think twice before you speak. Have you ever been around somebody, not the one you're thinking of, but another one. Have you ever been around somebody that seems to have a problem with what slips off their tongue? It seems like every little bit, oh, sorry, it slipped off my tongue. Well, first of all, I don't know what makes their tongue so slippery, but anyway, I... Uh, let me share this with you. If you have a problem with what's slipping off your tongue, or you know somebody that has a problem with what's slipping off your tongue, the problem is really not between the lip and the gums. The problem's a little farther down the esophagus, somewhere about here. Because in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, and that's easy to remember, Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm, I'm convinced, pastor, that when people get this thing fixed up, this thing starts working right. Amen, brother George. And so then he said, thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. So he knows where I need encouragement along the way, coaxing along the way or support along the way. God knows that such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. So he's reflected on the omniscience of God. Now let's pick it up at verse seven. 
In verses 7 through 12, he begins to reflect on the omnipresence of God. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee and the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. What's he saying? Have you ever had those moments when you went and say, oh God, where are you? I got good news for you this morning. He's here. There's no place where he's not. He's everywhere at all times. You do not have a monopoly on the presence of God. You are blessed week after week to have the presence of God, but you don't have a monopoly on it because his presence is being felt in a lot of places this morning. But thank God, he's here. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, the word heaven there is not a reference to the celestial city. It's literally a reference to outer space. David didn't know that there would be space travel. He didn't know that there would one day man would set foot on the moon. He didn't know that there would be a space shuttle and a space station where that could dock and undock and bring cargo back and forth. He didn't know that. He didn't know that one day there'd be a Hubble telescope that we could see farther in space than we've ever seen. But maybe as a shepherd boy laying with his back on a Judean hillside, looking up at a full moon and a starry night, sees the Big Dipper and the Milky Way. And he realized, Lord, if I could get out there, you'd be there. Then he said, if I would make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. The word hell is not a reference to the place of the damned. The word hell is a reference here to the grave. So in essence, what David is saying, whether it's six million miles in space or six feet underground, Lord, there's no place where you're not. Then he said, I would take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea. What in the world was he talking about? The wings of the morning. I I am not an early bird. I'm a night owl. I stay up really late. So I probably would not be walking with Bruce and Jamie, okay? I enjoy my walks, but not probably as early as they take them. And for me, I'm thinking the early morning is for the birds. But that's, that's not the wings of the morning, okay? But if you've ever gone through a long night whether you've on a bed of affliction, whether you're sitting by the bedside of a dying loved one, whether you're a soldier in an enemy combat zone, and you think, if I could just see the break of day, if I could just look over the horizon and see the sun come up, that picture... It's those first sun rays that jet out across the horizon are the wings of the morning he's referring to. But then he refers to the uttermost part of the sea. For those who are in Israel, the sea is to the west. So in essence, he's literally saying, as far as the east is from the west, 
That's where your presence is, Lord. You ever wonder, you ever wonder why we always say as far as the east is from the west and not the north is from the south? I mean, if you look at a globe, it seems to be the same distance around, doesn't it? But it's not the same. Let me explain it this way. If I were to leave here and go north, I'd have to go through that city, up, that state up north that starts with an M. But anyway, then I'd, then I'd get into another country there, Canada. And then if I would keep traveling, I would finally, if I keep going north, I would eventually get to the North Pole. But as soon as I got to the North Pole, the next step I took in that direction, I'd be heading south. And as long as I continued south, I would eventually get to the South Pole. And the moment I got to the South Pole and took another step in the same direction, I'd be going north. But it's not the case with East and West. If I leave in central Ohio where I live and go east as I just did last week in a camp meeting and go through Pennsylvania and then I'd get into New York and jump in the Atlantic Ocean and get to Europe and go to go on around and go on around eventually get to the Pacific and come back around to Hawaii hang out a little while then then get over to California but listen I would eventually get back to Ohio and I would always be going east and even if I got back home and took another step in the same direction I'd still be going east there's no end to it He's as far as the east is from the west. Then he talks about the darkness and the day. And as far as God's concerned, it doesn't make any difference whether it's high noon or midnight. He's the same there. And so he's reflected on the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere at all times. Now let's pick it up at verse 13. Because in verse 13, and one of the reasons this is one of my favorite Psalms is because of these next few verses. And I tell you what, if the church has a reason to rejoice, we have a reason to rejoice that after 50 years, God has heard and answered our prayer about Roe versus Wade. That now, maybe some babies, maybe some babies can be spared who've been brutally murdered in the last 50 years. God help us. If there were, if we didn't have any other passages of scripture in which to stand on in this, Psalm 139 is enough. He said in verse 13, for thou hast possessed my reins and covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect yet in my book all my members in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashion when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Go back to verse 13 for a minute. For thou hast possessed my reins. I hate to confess this, but for a long time I misunderstood 
what this verse was saying. I thought it was a wonderful analogy that I remember when I was a youngster, not because I have a good memory, it just wasn't that long ago, but I remember when I was a youngster, my brother and I would plead and beg with my dad, our dad, to get us a pony. And we didn't have a big farm, but we had enough acreage that we could have a pony every now and then, and we had several ponies when I was growing up. But I discovered that even though a pony was much smaller than a horse, it was muscular enough it could drag you all over the field if it wanted to. But I also discovered, Brian, that if you could get a bridle on that thing and the one that possessed the reins, you were in control. And for a long time, I thought that was the analogy David was wanting us to get when he says, thou hast possessed my reins. I thought God is to be in control of my life, isn't he? Yes. But that's not talking about the reins of a bridle or a harness. And one of the problems with the English language, and you can ask any foreigner that's trying to learn our language, or you can ask any American that's still trying to learn it. But one of the problems with our English language is we have so many words that sound exactly alike, that are spelled entirely different and have entirely different meanings. And the word reigns is one of them. When David said, thou hast possessed my reigns, notice the spelling, R-E-I-N-S. But if you hear me speaking and I talk about reigns, I could talk about the reigns I encountered on the way down last night or we had during the night, but that's not that kind of reigns. We also think about reigns, the, the reigning of a king or queen over a kingdom, R-E-I-G-N-S. But then we have reins, R-E-I-N-S, which means like the reins of a harness or bridle. But in the Old Testament especially, that's not what that word means. R-E-I-N-S here in Psalm 139 can literally be translated this way. For thou hast possessed my kidneys or my inward parts or those of us with southern kind of draws, draws you know, our innards. And that really shows the handiwork of God. When it's David says, thou hast possessed my inward parts. David realized it was as though the fingers of God were working inside his mother's womb as he was being conceived. And as the fingers of God were working, he was taking note in the book that he made of us. There's that part and there's that part. In, my, in his book, all my men Members were written even though they were not fully formed yet. You want to know when God knows us? Not when we come out of the womb at the moment where, in fact, he knew before we were conceived because when he was on the cross, I was on his mind and I wasn't even conceived then. Amen. We've been crying out, oh God, send us somebody with a cure for cancer and God would have the right to shout, I did, but you aborted them. So he's reflecting on the omnipotence of God, the creative power of God. I hate to tell you what I think when I think of this, but I'm going to. 
I, I love seeing all the young people and the young parents that are here. And those of us that are older remember when our children were your children's age. And sometimes it can be a very frustrating time. Have you ever had those moments? Now, I know you won't want to say this out loud, especially if your child is sitting next to you. But have you ever had those moments when your child has gotten on your last nerve? And I have, I have heard some nerve-rattled moms in their moment of frustration make comments something like this. Now listen, I brought you into this world. You already know the rest of it. And I can take you out. I believe David maybe is thinking about that little, a little bit, that God has the power. It was the, fing, the, the fingertips of God. It was the hand of God that brought me into this world. And I got to realize he can take me out. So he's reflected on the omniscience of God and on the omnipresence of God and the omnipotence of God. Look with me at verse 19. In verse 19, we could say that David is now appealing to the holiness and justice and righteousness of God. But I really think verses 19 to 22 are as much a part of the prayer as verses 23 and 24 are. And notice what he said. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and they, the, your enemies take your name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And not I grieve to those that rise up against thee? I hate them. With a perfect hatred, I count them my enemies. Wow. What's going on? See if this sounds familiar. Lord, you know everything. You're everywhere. And you have all power. That means you know who's doing the wicked, ungodly stuff in this world. You know where they're at. And you have the power to do something about it. So do it, Lord. Do you agree with me? It's easy to pray that way if we're not careful. When we read the news headlines and hear the atrocities that's going on and all the immorality and the ungodliness, it is easy for me to pray that God would remove the wickedness from around us. But that's not what brings revival. What brings revival is when we also pray that God would reveal any wickedness that's in us or anything that's not right in us. Oh, we're all about God straightening out everybody else. But we're not nearly as eager to ask him to straighten us out. It is not right. It is not right for us to pray that he would remove the wickedness from around us if we're not also willing to pray that he reveal any wickedness in us. Let me wrap it up by saying this. 
I believe that the good news about this is if we would reflect on these three attributes, maybe we would come to the same realization that David comes to when we think about God's omniscience, that he knows everything about us then we need to be reminded of what Paul said to the Roman believers in Romans 14, 12, when he said, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And because God knows everything about us, we're going to have a time of accountability of what God knows about us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be held accountable right there then stand before God at the judgment and be held accountable for things I didn't settle there. We are blessed in America. We have an amendment to our constitution, number five, the fifth amendment. And a lot of criminals and a lot of politicians have pled the fifth amendment. I have the right to remain silent. Let me share this with you. Even if you're an American, you will not have that right when you stand before God. Even, even though before his presence, you will be speechless. And what God says and what he reveals will be right. And will be accountable to everything he knows about us. Here's the place to settle the account. Oh, imagine that. We can have the old account settled. Long ago, I'd make a good song. Somebody had to write one like that sometime. When we reflect on God's omnipresence, I pastored for my home church over 17 years. I understand what your pastoral team goes through, the times you get calls, the time you can't be here, you're over here and you'd like to be there, you're needed over here. And there were many times I could not be where I wanted to be and where people wanted me to be. But I'm glad I serve one who's present everywhere. And that's why James said in James chapter four, verse eight, draw nigh to God. That's an understood subject. You, you can draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And in Psalm 121, verse number four, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't have to take a nap because he's tired. He doesn't doze off on the job. He's not off on vacation. He's available, thank God. He's omnipresent. There's an availability and he's available here this morning to meet your need. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's availability. Then when we reflect on his omnipotence, another thing you guys understand is that many times we pray with people and stand beside their bedside or in their home And they have needs that are greater than what we can meet. But they're not greater than what he can meet. 
I've been very lim- I've been very limited to be able to meet the needs that people share with me, but I'm glad I've been able to point them to one that is able. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. In the book of Jude, verse 24 and verse 25, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of a glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. What are you talking about? He's omnipotent. That means he's able. He's able. He's able. I know my Lord. Lord is able to carry me through. Praise God. Praise God. Notice what David did not say. He didn't say search him. He didn't say search her. He didn't say search them. He said search me O God and know my heart. It doesn't mean anything was wrong. It just means we want God to do a spiritual checkup. up. 